Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today we are speaking with Dara Rosenbaum. Thank you so much for joining us, Dara. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, absolutely. So let me introduce Dara real quick. Dara Rosenbaum is an attorney, business advisor, business owner, and podcast host. Dara has a passion for creating, helping, protecting, and growing her clients' companies. She is a litigator and transactional lawyer who became an attorney to help people and whose love of business owners drew her to business law. Her own experience as a business owner fuels her desire to help other businesses grow and thrive. Dara has been practicing law for over 20 years and co-founded Rosenbaum and Taylor PC over 10 years ago. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited too. So um, I want to just start by saying... Um, I think this is a, a really great informative podcast for, for our audience. Um, and one of the things that I know people have on their mind and one of the things that I think a lot of people are thinking about when they're, do I start a business? How do you even start? What's the process? And, you know, you're trying to decide, you know, when you see all these tax forms, it becomes overwhelming. Am I an LLC? Am I an S corp? And I, what's the difference and how do I set up and am I doing it wrong? And that's the biggest question on everybody's mind. Am I doing it wrong? <laughs> right. And so tell me how to cut through all the clutter and start figuring it out. Because one of the things that I have seen online lately is a lot of these companies that say, we'll start your business, you know, with for a hundred dollars, you know, it's kind of like mm -hmm. a business in a can. And that, mm -hmm. that scares me a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell me, tell me what the proper way to get started is. I would say don't try to do it yourself. Yes. So okay. obviously, you know, there's a lot of brainstorming that goes into it. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you want it to look like? Who's going to be involved? Are you doing it by yourself? How do you, what, do you, what does the future look like? Do you want it yeah. to grow? What kind of, and all of those things kind of go into the brainstorming process. My strong suggestion is always to speak to a business attorney before you get involved with, you know, forming the business yourself, because it's so much easier to do it right the first time than to start yes. undoing it. You know, oh, if you filed the wrong forms, you selected the wrong entity, and this is all going to be, you know, state specific and specific to the industry and specific to your personal situation. You know, are you going to have partners? Are you going to be an LLC and have members? Are you going to be an S corp or a C corp? What are the tax consequences? You you want to get it right the first time. You want yeah. to set that foundation. It's like that. I think there was an old uh, infomercial that was something about an oven. You could put everything in there and set it and forget it. Yeah, that's how I feel about setting the you know getting the formation done correctly. Set it and forget it. Do yep. it right the first time. Invest a little bit of money. You're not taking out a second mortgage to do this. You're not selling your family. You're not selling your kidneys. You're, yeah. you know, it's it's not that expensive to get it done right the first time, but it gives you the peace of mind to know that you've got it structured right. You've got the initial documents in place, whether that, you know, that's going to be a filing with your, you know, with, with the state, that's mm -hmm. going to be federal filings. That's going to be specific to your location, but it's going to be specific to what you need. Mm -hmm. And the reason I don't suggest doing the, you know, Hey, we do it for a hundred dollars online mm -hmm. is that it's not customized at all. Right. And it's not going to give you, it's not going to give you advice. It's going to give you a Mad Lib style, fill in the form, enter your credit card. Yeah. It's not going to be customized to what you need. So 
you know, you're taking the time, you're making the investment in in starting a business, just do it right the first time. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I've started several different businesses in my lifetime and, and, you know, just getting it right. But it, what's hard about it is you have to kind of predict the future a little bit. You have mm-hmm. to say, you know, what's my end game? You know, what's my exit strategy? And right. an exit strategy should be something that you keep in mind in the very beginning of your business, not just at the end of it. And sure. so you need to know, like, how am I planning on, you know, transitioning this business once I'm no longer interested in it or, mm-hmm. or I've, you know, decided to retire. And, uh, right. but what, what happens if you are, let's just say I have this little jewelry making company. I've been doing mm-hmm. really well with it. I just started selling it to my friends and neighbors and all of a sudden it's blown up and now you need to restructure is that difficult it's not i mean i think you, you talk to you talk to an experienced attorney in your area who knows you know who knows your area and who can learn your business okay. you know you don't want somebody who's just going to spit out a response without talking to you and understanding what you're doing right. so you, you, when, when you deal with an experienced attorney you're talking about somebody who knows the right questions to ask yeah. Because, you know, you're not expected as, you know, the, you know, somebody with a side hustle or somebody just starting their business or even a serial entrepreneur, you're not expected to know what questions you need to answer. You just need to have the information. So yeah. work with somebody who can, you know, learn the business, learn who you are, learn what you want, you know, and whether that's, you know, a jewelry making business on the side that's now blown up and you're doing mm-hmm. it on Etsy and you're doing online commerce or you're opening up a brick and mortar, mm-hmm. whatever you're doing, just, you know, share with, share with the expert who knows the, you know, who knows the business side of it, what you need, you know, what you're planning. Are you planning on bringing in a partner? Are you going to have employees? Uh, Are you planning on buying a building? Are you leasing space? Is it only going to be online? Give all that information to somebody and, you know, give the facts to them and let them kind of, you know, then give you, give you a plan or give you a suggestion or strategy. Awesome. I love that. So um, I know that litigation is part of what you do. So how common do you, and this is just a question that I know a lot of business owners think about, how sure. solid are non-competes and non, you know, non-disclosures? Because, you know, there's so many times in my business, I've had my business, we just celebrated our seven, seven year anniversary. And thank you. And so, you know, I've definitely had my share of employees who have gone rogue and, you know, tried to do some pretty manipulative things mm-hmm. or who have gone to work for a direct competitor and they've signed non-disclosures and non-competes, but at the same time, I'm like, is this worth pursuing? So Mm -hmm. what advice would you give to business owners who are in those types of positions? What's worth pursuing and what's not? Oh, and obviously what I can give here is just general advice. I can't give legal advice in this context. Um, And obviously anybody should consult an an attorney in their own jurisdiction. That being said, non-competes, speaking generally, non-competes and non-disparagement or non-disclosures are are sort of different animals. Right. So, you know, non-competes, you're generally going to see them be, you know, to be enforceable, be fairly specific. Right. Uh, They're generally going to be restricted geographically and they're generally going to be restricted in time in a reasonable way so that you're not depriving somebody of their livelihood. Mm -hmm. You you can't say like, well, you worked for me. So now for the next 10 years, you can't work anywhere in the U.S. doing what you do. Obviously, that's not going to work. Right. So the, right, non-compete, right. the non-competes are tailored to that. And they're obviously jurisdiction specific in terms of what the states allow and what is, you know, and what is um, what's customary and what's allowable in that particular state. Non-disparagement, non-disclosure are a little bit different um, because you're talking about confidential information. You're talking about potentially trade secrets. So those are written a little bit differently. 
And mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things that is good about, you know, putting those type of things in an agreement and having a well-drafted agreement with your employees or an employee handbook with the correct information is that it tends to dissuade people from doing things. Right. You know, you're going to get people less than you're starting to get the unethical, unscrupulous people who are going to do something no matter what you write. Right. But there are some who are going to have a lot of pause and like, you know, listen, let me talk to an attorney about this before I go ahead and do something I shouldn't do. Sure. Or let me not go ahead and act in an you know in, in an unethical way because I do have this and I might get in trouble. So I think it's always worth at least a consultation with an attorney when you're having an issue right. because sometimes it doesn't need to be litigated. I mean, often it doesn't need to be litigated. Often a strongly worded letter, some sort of you know some sort of discussion, often is enough to kind of curtail the behavior and get you back on track. Okay, that's great advice. Yeah, because I think that's one of the worries that business owners have is you know, will this hold up in court? Because, you know, as business owners, we're often told, you know, hey, you can you can write anything you want. It's just not going to necessarily hold up. And so there's this constant fear as a business owner of how much can I share? How much is going to come back to me? You know, where where can this all circle back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's great advice. Thank you. And I think that the, you know, how is this going to hold up in court is, you know, several steps down the chain because you don't want to end up in court. I mean, right. the way I look at it, working with small business owners and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs for 20 years is you want to be running the business. You want to be making the jewelry. You want to be doing the architecture. You want to be the structural steel engineer. You want to be, you know, running events. You don't want to be in court. That's not your job. Right. Uh, right. It's not productive for you to be in court. It's no. not profitable. It gets expensive. It gets time consuming. It's emotionally and financially draining. So you don't want to end up in court, but you want to have a, do- you certainly want to have a document that you can point to. You can say, listen, you other side don't want to end up in court either because we've got a really strong argument. So Good. hopefully that, you know, hopefully that's a conversation either with the, uh, the party who's causing potentially, you know, an issue with the provision and is violating the provision or with their attorney who can say, listen, nobody wants to go to court over this. Let's just resolve it this way. And mm-hmm. hopefully that's hopefully that's a more productive way than getting to the courthouse steps because mm-hmm. it's not where anyone really wants to be. Good, good. That's awesome. Good advice. So tell me a little bit. Um, you you have one of your um talking points that I really like is you talk about finding contract language online. Mm-hmm. Is that a good way to find contract language? Because there's so many of these sites that are, you know, legal zoom and so forth that may mm-hmm. have, you know, contracts on site. Is that typically a good way for an, an entrepreneur to do um, you know, their initial contracting, or do you think it should be a little bit more customized to their business? Similar answer to what we're talking about in the formation. You know, it's right. you don't want something cookie cutter. Yeah. And, and I, listen, I completely understand. I mean, I started my own business over yeah. 10 years ago and I've I've started a number of businesses and worked with hundreds of businesses over the years. I completely understand why people use online contract language. They're like, yeah. okay, hey, it's free. I can download it. I can do it myself. It'll be fine. Yeah. It's a good starting point, I think. And it could short, you know, it shortcuts some of the conversation you would have with an attorney who's going to draft. Like, listen, hey, I've looked this up. I see that these are the kinds of things I want to include in my contract. Or these are the kind of things I'm seeing online that I don't really think I need in my contract. Yeah. Or, you know, I want to include a cancellation provision or I want to talk about payment provision. And here's how I want to structure this. But the the benefit of having a customized contract is that it it's it's for your business, it's for the way you want to run your business, it's the realities of your business. So, you know, if you take a contract online, it may, it's not going to apply to your industry necessarily. Right. So, if you, for example, are doing an outlay for labor mm-hmm. uh, or for supplies or equipment or anything else like that, that's you know forty five days ahead of the event. 
Well, if you have a 30 day cancellation period, you've already, you've already made that outlay before the cancellation. Right. So you want to structure timing the way that your business is going to work. You want to make sure, I mean, everybody dealt with this in the last several years, you know, what happens if you, if we cancel, what mm-hmm. happens if we can't hold this event the way we want to, what happens if we can't provide the service the way we want to, what happens in that event? Uh, what happens if we're going to, you know, push it off and we're going to postpone it for a year? Does the pricing change? Another thing that's great way to the great thing that people can put in contracts or the scope of the, the scope of the work. Mm-hmm. I mean, people always talk about this concept of contract creep and scope creep. Uh, you know, it started out as one thing and now it's mushroomed and it's become something else. And they're asking for something else and something else. So the scope, when you write it the right way, A is a great marketing tool because it's like, look at all this stuff that I'm providing and look at everything you're getting for the price that you're paying. That's the, mm-hmm. that's, that's a great marketing tool. The other thing is that it can be written in a way that limits, you know, limits the scope. So we're going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're mm-hmm. going to do this. But if it takes longer than this, then here's how the payment structure is going to work. So I think that for lots of people, it be, the scope of work becomes a really critical point within a contract so that it's written the right way. It is serving the client you know, and serving the customer the right way. And it's really clear. And you don't need to write it every time. I mean, if you mm-hmm. do very similar work for people, you know, like, you know, like if you're doing, you know, you're staffing events with security personnel, it's not going to be a different contract every time. The price is right. going to change. The location is going to change. The numbers are going to change. The date's going to change. But you don't have to rewrite the contract every time. Right. So if you invest, and like I said, it's not going to be a huge investment. You're not talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars to get a good working contract in most cases, unless you're talking huge scope. Right. But you're going to have a contract that you can use and you can have in your drawer or have in Word and, and you're going to make the changes you need. And once you have a good working relationship with an attorney, they can then, you know, you can make that quick phone call. Hey, listen, somebody's asking me about this provision or somebody wants to change this one. Or what do I do here? It's a little bit of a different situation. And it's a quick conversation. It's a quick edit. It's a quick change. And you know that that contract that you have is going to do what you need it to do. Oh, that's great. Awesome. Fabulous advice. So I love the the fact that you're a business owner and you get business owners, you know, like you understand what we're going through because you've done mm-hmm. it yourself. Yeah. So as a business owner and an attorney, tell me about some challenges that you've had, you know, starting through starting your business. And, you know, especially as an attorney, you can probably foresee things a little bit better than most business mm-hmm. owners can as well. So tell me about some of the challenges and obstacles you've overcome. So I think, you know, one of the things that I did, I'll, I'll fairly admit I did wrong. Um, this, we, we definitely had like shiny object syndrome. It was oh, like, yeah. oh, you know, it, and, and definitely fell, fell for sales pitches that we, oh, for yeah. things we didn't need. Right. <laughs> uh, and for things that, you know, even if we did need the thing, we might not have needed that one from that company. Mm-hmm. I think I was, and I was definitely drawn in in the beginning by, you know, hey, we have this platform that provides this service and you could really use that. I'm like, we could use that. That's a really great idea. Let's go ahead and try that out. Uh-huh. I was yeah. not discerning enough. Um, <laughs> we definitely made some costly mistakes there um, because when you're starting a business, you're going like, oh, somebody's providing a solution for something that I think I need. Right. What I should have done is just slow just slow down mm-hmm. and say, like, listen, do I need this? And is this the one I need? And if I need, a, if I need this service or I need this product, let me look around to see what, the, what other people are offering. If I've decided that I need it, which one do I want? It mm-hmm. just shouldn't be the first person who calls. Yeah, um, yeah. I needed to be a lot more discerning about that. I was just trying to make quick decisions. And I think in some respects, if I had slowed down a little bit, I would have made better decisions, especially when it came to, you know, products and services and mm-hmm. software and things like that, that helped the business. Right. So, you know, we definitely learned our lesson over the years that 
you know, you really want to vet the, you really want to vet all those things. You want a trial period. You want a really good product demo because, you know, you may think it's going to do something and in practice, it doesn't work the way you want it to, or Mm -hmm. it does exactly what you, exactly what they said it was going to do or that you thought it was going to do, but you didn't really need it. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I would say that that's something that we, that's something that we sort of fell victim to in the beginning. Um, One thing that we did right, I would say, is we kept costs really low. Good. And I totally recommend to people. Somebody recommended to me, listen, you know, you've never run a business before, run it like an old lady running her candy store. Yeah. Like, you know, really close to the vest, really tight on the, you know, on, on budgeting and make sure that you know all your numbers because mm-hmm. they get away from you mm-hmm. and you're making decisions based on gut. You're going like, okay, I need somebody. I need to hire somebody. Okay. Well, you know, take it back. How much can you, do you need a person? Mm-hmm. What person do you need? Is that full-time or part-time? Is how much can you afford to pay that person? And what are your expectations? And if they're going to be somebody who's generating revenue, keep really tight eye on if they're going to be generating revenue for you, make sure they're hitting those targets. Yeah. If they're doing more of a support role, make sure that they're actually providing that support. But one of the things we did in the beginning was we started with a professional employment organization. So we outsourced all of HR, all of payroll, all of you know tech. Um, we outsourced all of those things, and they handled all those things for us. Yeah, just so we could focus on being lawyers. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I was like, okay, now we've got this. We'll take all of that in house. Mm-hmm. Um, we also started in executive suites, so we didn't yeah. have to buy furniture. We didn't have to have you know hire a receptionist. They had a person with a switchboard who could answer our phone as though she was our receptionist. Yeah, you know, Rosa Mam and Taylor, how can I help you? And the next time the phone rang, it was a switchboard and something else is like you know ABC Graphics. How can I help you? Or whatever yeah. they wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, and that was a great way for us to get started because we didn't have to buy furniture. We didn't have to figure out all the IT. We didn't have to you know buy a copier and a coffee machine and all the and just to have an office that we were wholly responsible for. We could focus on being lawyers. Yeah. Um, and we outgrew it in a few years, but it was a great way to get us started because it wasn't a tremendous outlay, first of all. It let us focus on what we needed to do. And it also let us kind of get a, a handle on what we needed to do with when we were going to take it in-house ourselves. Yeah. That's great advice because I did the same thing and it really changed it for me. Like it was so nice having that professional image without mm-hmm. having that upfront investment of copiers and and you know desks and computer I mean you brought your computer but yeah. other than that having a receptionist there having a beautiful building you know mm-hmm. and a lot of these are in are in nicer buildings and it gives mm-hmm. you a great you know image without the upfront cost of you know a five year lease and mm-hmm. you know all of the the build out that you'd have to right. do so and it yeah, can be and listen and I, I recommend it to people because it can be less overwhelming you know, like, because yeah. it's just a lot to do. And the, the to-do list when you start a business is huge. Yeah. If you can take some of those pieces off the list, that's great. I mean, I think that's a really yeah. big help. Well, and one of the things that I have recognized through the years, and, you know, I've, I'm on my, you know, third or fourth business at this point, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I've made all the mistakes, and I've done all the things wrong. <laughs> and now, like, looking back, like, I could write a, a, a novel on just, you mm-hmm. know, what not to do in business. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, but one of the things that I think is key is, you know, not falling in love with this idea that you have to have a certain image, you know, and, and right. we have grace now, like now, ever since the pandemic, working mm-hmm. at home is not a bad thing anymore. Like right. it's, it, it's become normalized. And, sure. you know, there, there's less pressure on having to have the big glass building and the, right. 
you know, fancy office, but, you know, mm-hmm. but initially starting uh, those things were lifesaver for me. You know, yeah. I, I thought, you know, going into this beautiful office building, it was, it was great. We actually stayed there way longer than we, we needed to just because it was so convenient. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an entrepreneur, one of the other things that I did is I tried to learn everything. Like yeah. I needed to learn contract law. I needed to learn marketing. I needed to mm-hmm. learn social media. I needed to yeah. learn this, but really when you step back and you think to my, I think to myself, how many hours could I have been making revenue mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of yeah. learning something new that I was only going to be able to do at, you know, 20% of what somebody else could do. You know, mm-hmm. even if I threw myself into it and I felt like an expert, I wasn't an expert. And so, but being able to outsource that now, like I, I tell, I tell entrepreneurs now when I coach them, I say, step back. And once you can start hiring people to do things the right way, it's mm-hmm. amazing the weight that is lifted off of you yeah. because you're no longer stressed about it. You're no longer like, did I do that right? Did mm-hmm. I half-ass that? Did I, did I manage to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that, is that credible? You know, and right. So right. You want to just kind of get out of your own way. And that was one of the things that I did as an entrepreneur that I, I feel like was one of my biggest mistakes is I was always in my own way. You know, Mm -hmm. I insisted on knowing everything about everything and it slowed me down. You know, Mm -hmm. I I didn't grow as fast. I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, meet the right people in the right time because I was so focused on learning everything about how to run my business when Mm -hmm. really there are great experts out there like attorneys that can take so much off of you and ensure that it's done right. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, and one of the things that I think you know, I was definitely you know, sort of fell victim to was, I can figure it. I can do it myself. Yeah. And, and yeah, you and and you're right. The same way you did, Angela. Like you, you can, but you can. it's not the most productive use of your time. Right. Right. Um. So I, I would say, you know, educate. I would recommend to anybody educate yourself on, you know, just so you're comfortable. You're comfortable having that conversation. You know, if you don't know anything about social media, you're not going to be as comfortable having the conversation with the social media marketing person you've hired. Right. You want to have enough information so you can ask good questions, and then you want to hand it off to somebody who can do it. Mm-hmm. And I also think you don't have to do everything. You know, don't you don't have to learn everything right off the bat. Right. Kind of, you know, and I, somebody described it to me as like, you know, jumping off the building and then building your wings as you as you fall. Yeah, yeah. It's a little similar to that. It's like, you know, flying in the plane and building it while you go. But you don't have to learn everything. You know, you, right. there is there is an element of, OK, just take the leap. You know, OK, I'm ready. I know enough. I'm ready to go. But you don't have to do everything on day one. You know, you don't have to have a massive marketing plan on day one. You you have to have a product or a service, but you have you don't have to have a huge marketing plan on day mm-hmm. one. You know, you want to set the things that you absolutely have to have and budget accordingly and then move forward in a, a methodical way and obviously a, a, at a good pace. But you don't have to learn everything because you're right. It does slow you down when you decide that, you yeah. know, before I do anything, I've got to know everything and that'll that'll get you stuck in the mud quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and. You know, I tell everybody to try to have a general base level knowledge, you know, have general base level knowledge so that you can ask the right questions, like you were saying, and mm-hmm. so that you can also make sure different timelines are met, you know, and, and I yeah. was talking to somebody who ran a tech company and she didn't have a tech background. Mm-hmm. And so as she learned the terminology and the verbiage that's used, she became better at 
explaining what she needed, you know, right. and it was a trial and error at first. She didn't get it right. And the, the engineers and the software developers weren't getting it right because they weren't speaking the same language. Right. But as soon as she developed that, you know, and she didn't have to know how to write code. She just had to kind of know how to explain what she wanted in a way that they sure. understood. Yeah. And so it's the same thing with social media. It's the same thing with, you know, with law. It's like, okay, this is what I want to make sure. And you want to give your, your attorney scenarios and say, this is what happened to me. How do I right. change that in the future? Right. by putting it in writing and in a contract. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the more you can describe what it is that you're trying to get to, the better the experts can do their job. True. And the other thing is, I think, you know, very few of us are doing something that nobody's ever done before. Right. Exactly. So ask questions, you, mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, and and down to like, okay, hey, who do you use for your payroll? Mm -hmm. Or what bank are you using? You know, when I, if you need to get a line of credit, what bank did you go to? How did you deal with that? Uh, hey, did you apply for this kind of loan? Uh, who did you get your copier from? Do you lease it or did you buy it? Yeah. I mean, any anything and everything is sort of available out there. You don't have to sit at your computer and figure it out by yourself. And one of the things I learned probably too late, because I'm one of those people who's like, I'll just do it myself. I can figure it out. Yeah. Is that, you know, no one's knocking on my door and saying like, hey, here's some advice I wanted to give you about how to run things. But mm -hmm. if you just ask, some people are so willing to share. Yeah. So, you know, either whether you find people who are in your industry or people who are in the similar stage of their company as you are, or just people whose opinions you respect, ask them because yeah. they're going to tell you and you're going to save yourself so much time on Google. Yeah. And you're going to save yourself so many mistakes if you just ask those questions. Mm -hmm. And you're not along those lines. I would also recommend find your tribe of, of oh, yeah. like-minded people who are doing something mm -hmm. similar because um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you often feel very much like you're on an island by yourself and you're right. like, nobody gets it. You know, the circle of friends mm -hmm. that you had at the bus stop with your kids aren't necessarily the same circle of friends you're going to go to and be like, so should I be an S Corp or a C Corp or an right. LLC? <laughs> you, know? so, you can ask, but they may not know. Right. And so, you know, you want to find your tribe of people and say, what works for you? And mm -hmm. it may not be, you know, something that works, but it at least gives you an idea of where to look for the information. Right. So find your tribe of entrepreneurs, whether it's through a, you know, chamber of commerce or a networking mm -hmm. group or start your own CEO group. There's tons of them on LinkedIn and Facebook sure. and, mm -hmm. you know, but, but yeah, find your tribe, find your tribe is what I would tell. People. And you're going to get information from the tribe, but you're also going to get support because oh, yeah. we, we, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs feel like islands and oh. feel like nobody's dealing with what I'm dealing with, whether it's mm -hmm. staffing problems or HR problems, you know, mm -hmm. finance, cash flow. Um, supply chain, whatever it is, oh, other yeah. people are dealing with it too. And I think it feels so good to be like, oh, okay, I'm yeah. not the only one dealing with this. <laughs> no. and, and somebody may tell you, this is what this is what I did. You know, like that's not what I want to do. But they can also tell you, like, these are the things I considered doing before I made my choice. Oh, okay, let me talk to those people. Mm -hmm. And you start dealing with, you know, resources that have been vetted, and you start dealing with people who have done some of the legwork. And you'll share with them legwork you've done and decisions you've made. And it's a great, right. tribe is a great word for it because it really does help. You know, there's enough work for everybody. Nobody mm -hmm. needs to feel competitive with every other entrepreneur out there doing right. even something similar. Just, you know, but, you know, get to know those people because they're going to be great resources and great sources of support, whether it's, you know, whether it's networking or connections or just emotional support. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, I find so much value in my in my networking groups. I belong to a CEO think tank that that's given me so much value, you know, mm -hmm. just in terms of the connection, you know, the right. connection of of, you know, it's a it's a think tank, you know, you, yeah. you just you throw an idea out there and other people will kind of it's like a little bit of a shark tank thing where yeah. like this is what I'm thinking. And then 10 entrepreneurs are like, you're 
no way, stay away, stay away. <laughs> and listen, and, and it happens, listen, it happens to all of us. You think you've got the greatest idea sitting alone yeah. in your office and you're like, yes, this is what, this is what's going to change the world. And right. so you're going to take it out there for a spin. And people are like, oh, have Not you thought so about much. this part of it? Like, oh, no, I didn't think about that part. <laughs> right, and, right. and you need those people because, you know, listen, you know, everybody is, I think, expert in what they do. You know, whether you're, whatever service you're providing, whatever goods you're providing, whatever work you're doing, you right. know what you're doing. You know the rules of the road. You know how to do it. That's why you became an entrepreneur in the first place to do that work. Exactly. But when it comes to things that are outside your wheelhouse, you know, don't spin your wheels, no pun intended, mm-hmm. um, yeah. trying to figure out what, you know, how to do it or what to do or where to start. Start asking people. Yes, yes, yes. So how has being a mom changed you as a business owner or an attorney? And has it changed you, do you think? It has. I think, you know, I do a lot of work, obviously, with solopreneurs and entrepreneurs yeah. and small business owners. And I've always, and I started the business before I had my daughter. She's only three. Um, but I think <laughs> it's a great age. Uh-huh. Um, I think I always knew how important businesses were to families, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was supporting a person or a family or a group of families or a community, however, whatever it was supporting, it was important. And I got that. And I knew, I knew that all along working with all these businesses for 20 plus years. Becoming a mom, though, it became even more clear to me because now I'm not just helping to support my, you know, my husband and myself, but I'm supporting my daughter and, right. you know, the things that she needs and the business is important to, you know, to my family, to my business partner's family, uh, to the other people who work here. So if, if we look, we're, you know, we're a, a nine person office. Mm-hmm. And if I look and say like, okay, in the immediate, the immediate families of the people that we support, we're su- the, this business is supporting about 35 people. Um, and if we look to the communities, obviously it's many, many more. Mm-hmm. And if, look, if we're looking to the clients that we serve and the work that we do, it's many, many more than that. So I think it's really given me a stronger sense of what, you know, the, the value and the importance of the business and, and what's riding on the success of the business. Yes. Because it's not just, it's generally, sometimes it is, but it's generally not somebody who's like, Hey, I've got this thing on the side I do, and it doesn't matter whether it fails or not. You know, it's really important. It's important to that person. It's important to that family. It's important to that that family group. It's important to the community. It's important to the people that they serve. So I think that just becoming a mom kind of gave me a little bit more of a view on that connectedness and on the importance of that. So it it feels me, I think, even more. And it kind of gives me that kind of that softer side when it comes to um comes to understanding what people need. Well, and I wish more people understood that when they go and they are patrons of businesses, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know. We, this is not, this is personal for us. You know, it's not just business. When you're a small business owner, it's very Mm -hmm. personal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're going to get some things wrong, but you know, what I always tell people is give grace. You have no idea how hard it is. You know, you have Mm -hmm. no idea how hard it is sometimes to get up on a day. You're like, I really need to sleep in, but I'm also short staffed. And I also need to go be there for my team. And I also need to figure this out. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we don't get certain luxuries, you know, two weeks time off. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It'll never happen. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you know, people used to say to me, well, you make your own hours. Like, well, you make yeah. your own hours. I said, of course I do. I make them longer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What is, the, what is the quote? Um, An entrepreneur will work 80 hours to avoid working 40 hours for someone else. <laughs> it's so true. I think it's true. <laughs> it's <laughs> so definitely true. true. <laughs> so, but, you know, this is, you know, give us grace. We're tired and we're cranky and, and we've got our life on the lines, like literally half the and, time. And, that's, and I think that that's how businesses should deal with each other. Yeah. And not just, you know, not just customers and patrons and clients and vendors, 
But, you know, the these things, I mean, unless, you know, I mean, most of us are not running big box stores. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of us and, and most of us are not dealing on the phone every day with people who are like, you know, take it or leave it. Like, you know, right. they're, if they're your vendor, they're your client, they're your customer, they're your manufacturer, they're your distributor. These are relationships are all important. Super and important. I think that, you know, that's what I, I hope as an attorney I bring to the table, which is mm-hmm. that I understand that, you know, the, like I said before, nobody wants to be fighting. You don't want to potentially lose your biggest client or your biggest customer or lose a relationship with a vendor who's really important to you. You don't want to get that reputation of being difficult or, you know, not paying on time or having rough contract terms or not being willing to work through problems. You want to recognize that these are all relationships and they're all important. And you want, if there's a conflict or there's an issue or there's something that has to be worked through, the goal is to get it worked through so you can get back to running the business. Because you don't want to, you know, we've got enough on our heads. Everybody does. You don't want to have to worry about, you know, this thing sitting in your desk. Oh, that's right. I'm having a fight with somebody. Like, just work through it. If you need to have, you know, you need to have an attorney or some other, you know, some other professional work with you to resolve whatever issue it is, whether it's an mm-hmm. accounting problem or a real estate issue or a marketing problem, just find people who can support you so you can get back to doing what you love. Yeah. You know, when it comes to contracts, because I... I'm definitely not an attorney, but I did, I studied pre-law and, and I love contracts and, mm-hmm. and I love actually. You're, wait, you're one of the very few. I, I know. It's, love it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. I took pre-law English for like, for fun because I uh-huh. wasn't, I didn't have to do any English classes in college. And I was like, but I want to, like, I want to yeah. read contracts. Yeah. It's so weird. But, um, but yeah, so I always say, think about, think about of it like good fences make good neighbors good uh-huh. contracts make good vendors because you yeah. know that it's in it's in writing you know this isn't personal it's in writing this is the this is what it is right. same thing with fences and neighbors you know good fences make good neighbors and, and same thing with and same thing with co-owners or co-members mm-hmm. of a company yeah you know ma- management leadership mm-hmm. you know the best time to write all that down and get your operating agreement if you need one or your partnership agreement or membership whatever kind of agreement you need or you yep. should have get Set it done agree yeah, set and agree to those boundaries. Yeah, exactly. set and agree to those boundaries, and that way yeah. it's 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 not a personal thing. It's in writing. These are this is what we agreed to. So. And the best time to do it is when everyone's getting along, mm-hmm. you know. And you want to have it in the drawer or on the computer and pull it out and say, "Listen, we we talked through this. This is what we decided." Right. And you're gonna and you're gonna address all of those things. And like I said, we can go back to look. You know, look at the contracts online just for some inspiration, and then talk to an attorney right. about what to put in there. You know, what happens when somebody dies? What happens when mm-hmm. somebody doesn't want to work in the business anymore? Um, what happens when we want to bring in a new partner? What happens? How do we how do we break a tie if they're if we are fifty fifty owners? And how do we make decisions? Yeah. What happens if we don't agree? Uh, what kind of decisions are we are we entrusting to a particular member or a particular owner? You know, mm-hmm. is it is it a new direction for the company? Is it a big outlay of capital? You know, what kind of decisions do we need to make together? And what kind of decisions don't require everybody sitting around the table and voting? So right. if you re- if you resolve all those things, well, like you said, good vendor with your vendors, with your clients, your customers, mm-hmm. your co owners, your employees, your managers, just get all that set ahead of time. Get that solid foundation there, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah, I love it. Perfect. So kind of to pivot a little bit, who or what inspires you? I think people who are passionate inspire me. Um, People who love, you know, who are doing, you know, people who start something because they really believe in it or because it excites them um, Mm -hmm. or because they want to make something for their, you know, whether, even if they're in a business that doesn't particularly excite them, but the idea of generational, excuse me, generational wealth excites them or the the idea of providing for their family or changing their lifestyle excites them. People who are passionate and excited and who are driven really, really mm. kind of inspire me. 
Because I've met people who, I mean, I, I know a woman very well who started a job, you know, as an investment banker. And she's like, I was doing really well. I liked what I was doing and I was really good at it, but it wasn't compatible with what I wanted when I wanted to start a family. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would take some time off and I would kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And she's like, in six weeks in, I was like, I don't want to take any more time off. I want to do something. I need to do something. Yeah. And she'd always been really interested in the bridal industry. Huh, and she now owns a brick and mortar bridal, you know, bridal salon. It's, it's really successful. She loves what she's doing. And it's a total pivot from what she was doing before. Yeah. Yeah. But those kind of people inspire me. People who really want to find their passion, people who want to pursue it. Like I said, whether it's for personal fulfillment or financial mm-hmm. gain or some combination of both, those people get me excited. And when I get those potential clients on the phone or those clients on the phone who are so excited about what they're doing and just need a little guidance or a little direction or don't have anyone to brainstorm with, don't have anybody yeah. to bounce things off of. I love being that advisor and that strategist with them because when they're excited about their business, I get excited about their business. And, you know, I kind of get I'm nerdy about it, but I just love to learn what they're doing and why they're doing it. And, you know, well, what's the standard in that industry? And, oh, you're, they're only giving you 25%. Well, what's the standard and how should that be? And I get to learn all sorts of industries and you can tell it kind of gets me all fired up. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. So what is one piece of advice that you would give about success that you can share? I would say define it for yourself. Okay. Um, It's something that not, you know, success isn't the same for everybody. Yeah. And for some people, it's like, I want to be in, you know, honeymooning in Italy. And then I want to take a different vacation to a different European city every, you know, every year. Mm -hmm. Some people it's, I want to drive a really big car and I have, I want to have a big house. Some people it's, you know, I, I like my life. I want to support, support my family. I want to feel comfortable and my lifestyle does not need to be extravagant. Yeah. Some of it is, you know, some of it success is I feel personally fulfilled and I'm helping people or I'm, you know, I'm serving my community in a way that is important to me and money doesn't matter. So sometimes it's money, sometimes it's personal fulfillment, sometimes it's role in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you define success for yourself, you want to put those blinders on. Mm-hmm. And not look around at what other people feel is success or what people what people may be looking at you and thinking that, you know, you're not successful in the way that they define success. And as long as you're successful and striving for success, the way that you feel like it's going to be fulfilling, that's probably the most important thing because yes. it's not the same for everybody. And, you know, if you don't define it for yourself, you won't know when you get there. Yeah. And you don't want to be striving for something that you're just, that's so ill-defined, you're never going to know when you reach it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more with that. All right. So tell me there's, as women, we often give our power away. We often say, you know, let's, they, they helped me to do this. And it's because of my spouse, my boss, my whatever Mm -hmm. that we're here, or you let somebody take your power away through a conversation, through an interaction, and Mm -hmm. you feel little as a result, you feel belittled. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a, time that you've given your power away. And then tell me about a time as a woman that you've stepped into your power and what made the difference for you? It's a really good question. I like that question a lot. I would say they're very related. So my business partner was my boss. Um, we, we've been working together now for 20 years, 21 years, I think. Mm. He hired me um, and I was an associate at the firm. He was a partner there and we, you know, he built the team and I was an associate on the team. And you know, I was, I was very successful there. I did well there, but I always felt like, you know, well, people, you know, people are looking for him more than they're looking for me. Mm, You know, he's, he's got, like I said, 20 years on me. He's much more experienced than I am and always will be. I can't change that. Sure. 
When we started the firm together, I think I had a little bit of a complex because we came in as 50-50 partners and it was a decision we both made together. And it was it has been a wonderful, wonderful relationship. He is the most loyal partner I could possibly imagine. We've literally never had a disagreement on Believe Me. Wow. Um, he is just as supportive as could as he could possibly be. But I started in the beginning, sort of 10 years ago, sort of having that complex where people are going like, well, what is she doing? Like, what, what does she bring to the table? Like, and I know, I, I mean, objectively, I know I brought a lot to the table, but he had more experience and he had more connections at the time. And I did not feel as confident in my place and my role in the firm as I think I should have rightfully felt. Mm. I thought the people were questioning like, well, wait a second, why, you know, why did he pick her as a partner? That's why did that happen? And it was the most logical thing in the world. I mean, I was, you know, I was a senior associate on the team. We worked very well together. We had very similar goals. Our personalities were very similar. We worked really well together. It makes perfect sense in terms of, of talent and experience and, and relationship. It works perfectly. But in the beginning, I didn't feel as confident as I should have rightfully felt because you know, it's an industry that's very male dominated. Uh, he's 20 years, you know, 20 years older than I am. He's been practicing longer. He's tracked more cases. He's dealt with more clients. And I felt like the relationships that he had were kind of, um, you know, that I was along for the ride as opposed to kind of driving right. the train. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so to answer the second part of your question, I think that once I just let go of like, I don't care what people think I belong here. Yeah. You know, I belong here. I've grown this business. I've nurtured this business. I have a lot to contribute. The clients are, you know, I'm, I'm serving clients. I'm serving the community. I'm, I'm doing a great job. And I have every right to stand tall and be like, this is my company. And I'm, I'm the R. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, and that I have nothing to be, um, nothing to be small about. I have nothing to be, uh, nothing that I have to be ashamed of. Nothing that I have to be timid about, I guess is a good word. Um, that I, I own my place here. This is my, yeah. this is my role. This is my firm. Um, statistically likely that I will be here a lot longer than he will. Um, yeah. so what we're, you know, what we're building, I'm building and I'm building for the future, for future partners and for the employees that we have here. And I think that once I sort of just, you know, I eliminated that thought of like, well, are people looking at me and thinking I don't belong here? Because the truth is you don't really have to care what people think and, and whether they think I belong here or not, I know I belong here. And I yep. think owning that really changed the power dynamic for me. Oh, that's amazing. I love that story because you're right. And I think a lot of times we come into any situation feeling like um, we don't belong because we're so used to being, you know, minimizing ourselves, minimizing Mm -hmm. our power, minimizing our strength. And women are really bad at owning their success. So, you know, until we really start stepping into our power, Mm -hmm. we can't expect other people to, to see that power. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there's just so many uh, on my, on my LinkedIn, uh, pretty powerful podcast page. I'll often put quotes on there that I think are just really telling. And, um, so, and, and a lot of that is women who step into their power often considered to be, you know, bitchy or they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're just not, you know, but, but honestly, there's nothing wrong with a woman owning her power and her no. place in the world. No. And so the the more comfortable we get with it, the more people, other people, the more other people will get comfortable with it, but it takes us owning it first. Right. I love that. And I think the other thing is I would recommend is share it. Yeah. You know, because there are people around you who need to feel supported and who yeah. need to feel that they're empowered. And I think that not only can you be a role model and somebody to look up to and somebody to inspire other people, but when you have the chance, you can affirmatively help. 
Mm-hmm. And you can you can help somebody, you know, work through that feeling of I'm not sure that this is the right thing for me. Who am I to start a business? Yeah. Or who am I to run a business? Or, you know, maybe I need some this share that power and share that inspiration because if you've learned it for yourself, you can teach it to others. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I grew up in the Northeast and and there was this mentality, at least in the town that I grew up in, where if you did anything good for yourself or better for yourself, or you were trying to lift yourself out of a predicament or a circumstance, Mm -hmm. um, there would be two common phrases. Who does she think she is? Mm -hmm. And she suddenly thinks she's better than everybody. And so, you know, you always wanted to avoid being caught in that. Like, well, I don't want anyone to think I'm, you know, I'm somebody special. You know, like you were so afraid to be considered different or special for because you could be criticized just for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. I mean, it took me, uh, I, I just moved, I honestly moved away for my own mental, like, I want to, I want to be successful and I don't want to apologize for it every single day. Mm-hmm. So, and I think those questions. And listen, if you turn those questions around, they're not bad questions. Who do I think I am? I, I'm a, I think I'm a business leader. I'm a business right. owner. I'm a wife and a mother and a friend and an aunt and a sister. I mean, all of those things. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you know, do I think I'm? Do I think I'm better than everybody? No, I don't think I'm better than anybody. But I think that I am. You know, I'm improving and I'm getting better every day. And hey, I want you to do the same thing. Right. You know, and anyway, I'm I can, than I was any way I can support you, give me a call. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to tell you. You know. Give, give you some perspective, give you some advice, tell you what I've been through, or just be a sounding board. I mean, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm often an ear and a shoulder to cry on. So I think that everybody needs that too. Good, good. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so uh, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Ooh, my 18-year-old self. Um, I like these questions. It's so good. <laughs> I would say, I would say trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't need to do everything by yourself. I mean, I was definitely like, you know, my parents joked sometimes like, well, you know, you pretty much raised yourself because I was, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't push the boundaries. I, you know, I just, I kind of, I kind of stayed in my lane. Uh-huh. Um, and I think mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't plan as well. And I think that I could have had, and, and my dreams have been great and I'm, I'm happy to be, to be living them. But I think that I didn't at 18 kind of have a plan. Yeah. Um, you know, I was going to go to college. I was probably going to go to law school. What was it like after that? Like one step at a time. Right, right, and right. I think that I could have, I probably should, I don't know what my, my 